0: Really good stuff. So let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless the word and that each one of us here this morning would receive what he has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the truth that comes to our lives through them. You are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. There's no way to the Father but through you, but you are also called the word of God. And so this morning, as we go into this passage of scripture, reviewing some of the blessings of justification by faith. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us. And for those who need to hear the reassurance, Lord, of your love for them, I pray that they hear that. For those who need to hear the challenge from your word, I pray that they hear that. Open up our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, verse 1, one of the first things I learned when I was a young Christian, is whenever you encounter a therefore in the Scriptures, you stop and ask, what is it there for? We've been reviewing, Paul has been making a case about the sinfulness of man. The fact that all are sinners, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need a Savior. No matter how deeply depraved you might be, Or how holy others might perceive you to be. We need a Savior. We are all fallen. And then he goes into and talks about this reality that God has justified us by faith. That is to say that he has forgiven us of our sins. He's wiped the slate clean through the actions of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in addition to wiping the slate clean, forgiving us of our sins, he has placed into our account the righteousness of God in Christ. So every one of us here this morning who has believed in Jesus Christ, who has trusted in him by faith, has the righteousness of God. That is what you possess. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your sin. And when Satan accuses you, when you do fail, when you do fall short, and he accuses you before the throne of God, you have Jesus Christ as an advocate for you. Interceding on your behalf. Saying, no Father, He is covered by my blood. She is covered by my blood. They are righteous in your sight. And then, Paul goes through in chapter 4 and shows us that two of the patriarchs of the Jewish people, Abraham and David, both understood that salvation, justification came by faith from the very beginning. It was never by works. It was never intended to be that we would come before God boasting of the works that we had done and God would be responsible then to give us a right standing with Him. Because very... In the, in the very early times, Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham, at that time, Abram, you're going to be blessed, Abram, and all those who bless you, I will bless. All those who curse you, I will curse. Through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abram waited on that promise, waited on that word, and, and 10 years had passed. He still didn't have a child. He still didn't have a son. Even though his life was going well, he had just rescued his nephew Lot, uh, who had been kidnapped. He had overcome a far superior force and, and, and brought back Lot and all of the people who had been taken. But Abram was still afraid. He was still fearful because God had not yet f- fulfilled his promise. And And God appeared to Abram in Genesis chapter 15 and said, Abram, I am your very great reward. Don't be afraid. And Abram, the Bible says, believed God, took him at his word, and God accounted it to him as righteousness. So from the very beginning, justification, righteousness came through faith, through belief in the word of God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here this morning. So, the therefore is because of all of that, because salvation has always come by faith, and we are justified before God, because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before coming to God in faith, well, let's step back from that for a second. When Adam sinned, there was a separation that occurred. God told Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And death is separation. And in this case, separation from God. Adam did not physically die, but he did have to remove himself from the garden. An angel was placed there at the gate, and Adam no longer had the privilege of walking in the cool of the day with God, sharing that intimate fellowship with God. There was a separation, a death that had occurred. And from that point forward, there was an enmity between God and man. James said in the the second chapter of, or excuse me, no, it's in the fourth chapter of his uh, epistle, that friendship with the world is enmity or hostilities with God. And so, all men have been at enmity with God, in hostilities with God, at war with God. And every one of us here in this room, at some point in our life, could testify to that fact, to the reality that we did not have a relationship with God. Some of us fought against God a lot more than others, but we were all separated from Him, severed from relationship because of our sin. So there was not a relationship that existed. But now, because we've been justified by faith through the cross of Jesus Christ and through faith in what he did there at Calvary, we have peace with God. That is good news. By faith, we have peace with God. Now, remember how I described faith to you a couple weeks ago? This is my description of faith, but it's based on the scriptures, so you're going to have to convince me out of the scriptures that it's not right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the evidence of things not seen, the assurance of things hoped for. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says that faith worketh by love. So when we exercise faith towards God, there is love fueling that faith. Faith works by love. So faith is the evidence of things we cannot see, the assurance of things that we hope for, and faith works by love. And what did Jesus say was the greatest of all of the commandments? That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our minds. So, the faith that we're talking about here is not just mental assent. It's not just an understanding of what the Gospel states. A lot of people have that. A lot of people understand that Jesus lived. That there was a, a, a person, a rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago and died on a cross in, in uh, Judea. And that he was supposedly raised from the dead. A lot of people understand that. That's not faith. Faith works by love. And when we come to God by faith, in true faith, in saving faith, we come into a love relationship with Him. And that's where the peace of God derives. Because we are at peace with God, we are at peace with God because we love Him. He's always loved us. That's never been questioned. But we haven't always loved him. But when we exercise faith through love with all of our heart, soul, and minds, we have peace with God. So we no longer have to struggle with that idea that God is not for us. Have you ever wrestled with that? Feeling like God is against you, things, bad things are happening in your life, and somehow you believe that God is allowing them because He doesn't like you very much. I've felt that way a time or two. Peace with God means that there has been a cessation of hostilities. God has extended the olive branch. And we can come into his presence and not fear, not be afraid, not think that somehow he's going to lightning bolt us to death. We have peace with God because we have been justified through faith. Also by faith, we have gained access into the grace in which we now stand. So this is important. Because this is a very common problem for Christians, for people who come to God by faith. Every one of you out here, myself included, have experienced this. So did the Galatians. Paul said to the Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected in the flesh? See, this is what happens. We have this great experience with God. We are justified by faith. We recognize that the grace of God has saved us. From our sin. And we begin this relationship, a love relationship with God that morphs into this sort of expectation of works that if I don't do things well enough, that God will not love me. That if I don't act in a certain way or behave in a certain fashion, that God is going to be disappointed in me. Now, what Paul is saying here is that we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says that the veil in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was torn in two. Now, it's important for you to understand that this was not just like a bedsheet. The veil, by description of Josephus, was about a six-inch thick veil. It was heavy. And it was tall. It was about 40 feet tall. And the veil, it says in, in Matthew, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. So it wasn't a human effort. Man did not tear it. God tore the veil in two from top to bottom. It was rent. So that Access into God's presence was allowed. Now, it's important because we need to live by grace. Just as we are saved by grace, we need to live by grace. We need to understand that every breath we take is a gift of God. Everything that happens in our life, whether good or ill, is a gift from God. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things work together for good to those who love him who are the called according to his purpose so even the rough stuff folks that happens in our lives happens as a gift from god and we'll talk about that in a moment everything is a gift from god we don't earn anything i want to repeat that we don't earn anything and it's imp- it's important to see there that paul says we stand in the grace We need to stay firm that everything that we experience as Christians is a gift of God and comes because God loves us and intends good for us because we have peace with Him. I I just am reiterating this because so many of us struggle with this performance orientation, this notion that we have to do better. that our performance isn't sufficient. And it's not true. It's just not true. Imagine a a husband and wife relationship that was based on a scorecard. Well, yesterday you did pretty good, but today let's just see. Is that how any of you relate as husbands and wives? Of course not. Every day you're you're excited to come together to be with one another because there's this passionate love. Now I get that not everybody's uh, marital relationship is like that, but as God designed it, that's how it was supposed to be, based on love, not on perfection, not on performance, but love. And God loves us. And every time we blow it, every time we have something happen in our life where we could have, should have, would have done something different. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15 that we can come through our high priest, Jesus Christ, before the throne of grace and receive help in time of need. See, it says right here is through Jesus that we've gained this access. And, and the picture that's described there with Jesus is him leading us into the presence of his Father, as though He wants to introduce us to His Father who loves us so much. He's crazy about us. And Jesus says, come meet my Father. He loves you. He wants to be with you. Yeah, you blow it. But my blood covers your sin. You're justified by grace through faith. You have the righteousness of God. Come be with us. That's what this is talking about, that faith has gained us access into this grace in which we now stand. The peace with God that we can just joyfully each and every day experience. So faith has done some pretty good things for us. Pretty good. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So there's a lot there. First, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. There is a hope. Hope is something that we have yet not seen either. Why do we, Paul says in in. in, in Romans 8, why do you hope for something that you've already seen? You don't hope for something that you've already seen. You hope for something that still is out there, that awaits you, that lies ahead. And we hope in the glory of God, the reality that one day each one of us is going to see him. And there's this passage in in, in 1 John chapter 3 that I want to read to you. That is powerful on this subject. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. See, again, that's, the, that's just the picture of this loving Abba Father who's sitting on His throne, not with lightning bolts, but with big open arms, just waiting to hold you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. dear friends, now, we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when, we, that, or that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So there's going to come a day that the glory of God is going to be revealed. We are going to see him face to face. It does not yet appear what we will be, but we know that when we see Him, we will be like Him. And if you have that hope, you want to purify yourself. If you have that love in your heart for God, you want to follow Him and be with Him and do everything to maintain that fellowship. So we boast in the hope of the glory of God, the recognition that one day we will see Him face to face. That's good hope. Also, though, there is a hope not just in seeing the glory of God, but in being glorified ourselves. Now, as we grow older, physically, we age. There's a few more wrinkles around my face than there used to be. My back hurt yesterday, and I'm not sure why. Just happens when we get older. But as Christians, spiritually speaking, we're getting better. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So, back here in chapter 5, we have hope in the glory of God, not just that we will see him, but that he is working in our lives to glorify us, to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. Everyone in this room is going to look just like Jesus Christ. And God is at work in our lives to produce that. That's what he's talking about here in verse 3, that we glory in our sufferings. The word there, sufferings, is the same word that we get Gethsemane from. It means press, olive press. It means to press or to crush until the, the oil comes out. And it says that we glory in our sufferings the times in our lives when we're just being pressed, pushed, taken to extraordinary measures farther than we ever would anticipate or choose to take ourselves. But God's taking us there because he has a purpose in doing that. And we glory in those sufferings because we know that they produce perseverance or endurance. And endurance or perseverance produces character and character hope. James said the same thing in James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, count it all joy brethren when you fall into various trials or temptations knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance have its perfect work that you may be mature complete lacking in nothing so god's at work in your life and when that that press is coming down on you when things in your life seem to just be crushing you paul says we can glory in that because god is at work conforming you to the image of christ Developing the character of Jesus in you. And through that character, hope. And it says that hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint because God's love is placed in here, in each one of us through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He was given to us in a, as an earnest, as a down payment of our salvation. That's what it says in Ephesians 1, 3, or excuse me, 1.13 and 14. But it's not just a, a, a transaction that occurs with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he dwells within us. He is the evidence, God said, that he will finish the transaction. But he is also the one who empowers us through God's love to endure these things and to ensure that we understand there is a purpose in all of what we are going through. I could point out what I'm learning in, in the, the very short time that I've been pastor here, is that a lot of you are going through some tough stuff, difficult circumstances and situations. I hear the stories, and it just breaks my heart. It overwhelms me sometimes. Past, past seven days or so, I, I've been waking up every night at 3 o'clock, almost on the dot, and God just says, Pray. It's because some of you are going through such hard stuff. But we need to glory in that. We need to recognize that God is doing a work. And the love that is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit assures us of that, that God loves us. He's not going to let you go through something that is just going to be flippant or without purpose or without merit or not bring you to, to some type of a conclusion Jesus himself suffered when he was on this earth. It says in, in Hebrews 5.8 that because of the things he suffered, eternal salvation was able to be provided to all of us. Because of the things you are going through, the challenges that you are facing, you are going to be a stronger minister for God. You are going to understand better the depth of the love of God. That's what he talks about here in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, in Ephesians 3, or excuse me, Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead, not just powerless, we were dead in our sin and trespasses. But here it says, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were as far away from him as we could possibly be. Sinners at enmity with him. And yet he chose to go to the cross to demonstrate his love for us. He gave to us love in the whole form of the holy spirit and he demonstrated love to us in the form of the cross greater love has no man than this then he laid down his life for his friends and jesus said in john 15 i call you friends again it's back to this issue of being at peace with god we are the friends of god we are the children of god adopted into his family We have access into the grace in which we stand. We have hope in the glory of God. All of our sufferings, all of the pressings, all of the crushings are conforming us into the character of Jesus Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit poured out into our lives. God's love demonstrated there at the cross of Calvary. Amazing. So, since we have been justified by His blood how much more shall we then be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So the argument is, if while you were as far away from God as you could possibly be, God took every step, every action necessary to ensure your salvation, to demonstrate His love towards you. If that was true then, how much more when you have come into His family, when you enter into His throne room of grace, how much more will you be saved? How much more will you be pulled out of every circumstance in triumph? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that term reconciliation, it's a powerful one. And and what I want you to understand about it is that the reconciliation is something that's offered out there. God has put the terms out before the whole world. He says, be reconciled unto me. All you need to do for us to come to terms of peace is to be uh, one who trusts in my son's death on your behalf. I'm going to conclude with this scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God has reconciled us and each one of us through our mouth, through our actions. We are ministers of reconciliation to a world out there that is still at enmity with God. Many of the people, our friends and our neighbors, who we love and share our lives with, are at enmity with God, just like we once were. And we are ministers of that reconciliation. We are able to say that God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This is our message, people. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So that's it. God has justified us by faith. That has given us peace with God, access into grace that we can stand in, hope that allows us to endure the most unendurable circumstances because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts and demonstrated towards us in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to pray now for each one of us. Most of all of you in here this morning are believers. And as such, all of those blessings, all of those benefits of justification are yours. You need to go forth in that power. As Gary heads to the Chin people, he goes as a justified man. He goes as one whose heart is filled with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want each one of you to to go out of these doors today with that same hope that same promise. But some of you aren't there yet. You're here this morning for whatever reason, but you haven't fully trusted in Christ. You're not entered into a love relationship with your Savior. You might be a person just like Paul talked about uh, in Romans chapter 3. You have a form of godliness, but, but you don't have the power. You might be someone who is as far away from God as anybody could ever be. As Paul talked about in Romans chapter 1. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. God has extended forth terms of peace, of reconciliation. He's saying, come into my throne of grace. Sit on my lap. Cry out unto me, Abba, Father. I love you. Heavenly Father, we do pray that each one of us would enter into that kind of intimate relationship with you that has a hope that can never be taken away, an assurance of the things we do not see. I pray for this congregation, Lord, each and every man and woman, boy and girl, No matter what they're going through, how hard that olive press is pushing down on them, that they would see hope and they would glory in their circumstances. Pray for those, Lord, who are in joyful relationship with you. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. And I pray for those here, hearing my voice, Lord, who do not know you yet by faith but whom you are calling unto reconciliation i pray lord that they would step out in faith and trust on this day we give you thanks and praise for all the good things you do for us in jesus name amen amen we're going to stand now and share a hymn and i think it's going to be nothing but the blood Is that right? Nothing but the blood. So let's stand up and rejoice in the blood that has justified us from our sins. Amen. Let's gather around and worship in testimony. This is a time where we worship God through testimony, both of what he's done and what we need him to do. Announcements of things that we are doing or are planning. I just want to reiterate something John said. Uh, there are some sign-ups out in the entryway. Uh, two, two specifically that I want you to pay attention to. One for ushers. I, I keep telling you how great that ministry is. It's a powerful ministry. First people that are seen as, as uh, new people walk in is the usher. What a powerful ministry to share the love of God and the smile of a face. And also, men's breakfast. Sign up is out there. Men's breakfast in a couple weeks, March 7th. So guys, If you're interested in that, be sure to sign up so that we can get a head count, know how many people we need to uh, plan on for men's breakfast over at Webster Hall. And, um, oh yeah, so what else? Paul. I just want to let everyone know that my brother Don is at home now. He's recuperating from his uh, pneumonia. Last Wednesday he met with his cardiologist and they believe that he pacemaker, defibrillator combination. Hopefully that can be done in a a timely manner him. Don is very weak, and he needs to continue to have your prayers. prayers. Yes, we prayed for Don last week, and I think he went to the hospital for a while, and then now he's back home. I do want to thank everyone for the food that was brought to me during my time I was recuperating. It was wonderful, and those folks that invited me to their homes. It was great. Amen. Paul, thanks everybody. And what a powerful demonstration of of the love of God. Uh, Christy and I were the recipients of that also. And it's pretty amazing when people bring food over to your house. I'm I'm just saying, it's it's a great thing. (laughs) What else? amen prayers up for zach and i loved the testimony that you shared uh in the newspaper that was powerful i read through that and i thought boy wouldn't it be cool if every time something great happened we would give a testimony in our local newspaper <laughs> others I do have a sure Right, so prayer from Michael Elliott, healing and um, medical prowess, dealing with his broken right arm. Anyone else? Testimony? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the many, many blessings that we have received through your grace, because of your love. Pray for each and every one of these people, Lord, that have been lifted up here this morning. Just want to Ask, Lord, that your perfect will, your love would be expressed to each of them and that we would give testimony and glory to what you have done in their lives. And, Lord, for each one of us, we rejoice in the knowledge that you love us, that you are there for us. We cry out, Abba, Father. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord Sing Hallelujah Sing Hallelujah Sing Hallelujah to the Lord. Go in peace. I've got something for you.